Hey, if uh, you have a Bible or a device, let me encourage you to take it and turn to uh, the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to wrap up that chapter. You may also want to reach inside your uh, worship folder and pull out the message notes. It has the main passage, those verses on it, as well as some blank space that uh, you can use. And uh, towards the end, there's a few blanks you can fill in, too, if you'd care to do so. Um, Calvin Coolidge, former president, was uh, known to be a, a man of limited words. Maybe some of our modern-day politicians would benefit from his example. But uh, he uh, earned the moniker Silent Cal. And so one day, uh, Calvin Coolidge had gone to church uh, without his wife that particular Sunday. And when he came home, she asked him, uh, well, what did, the, what did the preacher talk about? And he responded, sin. <laughs> and uh, she said, well, well, what did he have to say about it? And uh, Silent Cal responded, he was against it. (laughs) So here in Romans chapter 7, Paul is going to talk to us this morning about sin. And uh, just to remove the mystery right off the bat, you need to know that he's against it. Because you see, if we know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have been set free from sin's penalty and sin's power. But we haven't been set free from sin's presence, have we? We haven't been set free from temptation. We haven't been set free from the opportunity to sin. In fact, the world, the flesh, and the devil are still very much factors in our lives. The world... We live in a broken, fallen world where sin and the opportunity to sin is around us all the time. And we live in that world in bodies of flesh that craves short-term payoffs that sin promises. And we very much have an enemy who, though he might have lost our soul if we've come to know Jesus as Savior, he still loves to frustrate us and to render us ineffective. So we haven't been set free from the short-term pleasure of sin, which is why it's such a struggle. Well, Paul's going to talk about that struggle, and let's look at his words. If you want to follow along with me, Romans chapter 7, starting with the 7th verse. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Paul asked, is the Old Testament law, is that sinful? And he responds, of course not. If you were here last weekend, Pastor Steve mentioned uh, four good uses of the law. You remember those? He said that it is a curb are a boundary to help restrain sin, an antisocial behavior that's detrimental to the common good for all. He mentioned that it's a mirror to help show us what 
what we are, that we are sinful, that we are lawbreakers, that it is a prod, you remember, poking the bear that's within each of us, stirring sin within us in order to drive us to our need for a Savior. And it's a portrait of self, uh, it's a portrait not of self-righteousness, I'm sorry, but a portrait of the righteous life. So that very much would still be the true. It shows us what a God-pleasing life looks like. The law is a good thing. But Paul tells us here that one of the things that the law does is that it helps us realize that we're sinners, that we're sinful. In fact, he goes on, pick up with me, continuing in verse 7. He says, nevertheless... I would not have known what sin uh, was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known that coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was, was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. And I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment put me to death. So then the law... It's holy, and, and the commandment is holy, it's righteous, it's good. The law is a good thing. In fact, Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that it's a, a guardian, it's a schoolmaster, some versions re render it. Uh, but what we need to know is the law was never meant to be the means of our salvation. Listen to what uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. I think we have the wrong... Here, let me start one verse earlier, and then I'll get to verse 25, and then I'm going to go one verse later. So just listen. Verse 24, he says, So the law was our guardian, verse 24, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. That's what the law was. It was our guardian. Then verse 25, where he says, Now that... This faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. See, the, the law was a, a, a teacher, a trainer, a master, a guardian to help us realize our sinfulness so that we could understand that we're justified, we're saved, not by keeping the law, but by faith. But now that faith has come, now that Jesus has come, now that he's died on the cross for us, we don't need that guardian anymore. We need to turn to the Savior. But the law, you see, helps us realize that we're sinners, that we are sinful, that we are law breakers, but certainly keeping the law won't make us right with God. It would kind of be like killing someone in cold blood. And then when the police arrive to arrest you saying, hey, but I drove under the speed limit all the way home. <laughs> you know, just, 
keeping the law in part doesn't remedy the fact that we've broken it over and over again. See? So Paul goes on, verse 13, Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. And we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Paul, Paul is, is, is speaking of sin here almost as if it were a power or a force which takes hold of us. It makes us its prisoner. It enslaves us, see? In fact, I think most of us will identify with his next words here. Verse 15, he says, And I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. Has that ever been true of you? You know, I want to do the right thing. I want to be obedient to God. I want to resist that temptation, but I'll be darned if I don't give in. I'll, I, I, I don't want to do it, but I find myself doing the very thing that I hate doing. Verse 16. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who uh, it is no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. You might want to circle that little phrase. At least remember it, sin living in me, because we're going to see it again here in just, a minute, in just a moment. Verse 18. He says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but is, there's that phrase again, sin living in me that does it. it, it it's sin taking up residence in me. I think it's important that we hang out on that phrase because I've heard pastors, I've heard Christians explain this by just saying, well, you know, we're just sinners saved by grace. And though that is true, we were sinners. That's not who the Bible says we are anymore if we're in Christ. In fact, it says that if we know Jesus as our Savior, we are a new creation. That our identity has changed from sinners to now children of God, citizens of heaven. Now, we still have the ability to sin, don't we? But it's not because it's our nature anymore. In fact, Paul says just the previous chapter in chapter 6 that through Jesus' death, we have freedom over sin in ways that we previously didn't have. He also says in chapter 6 
that we've been set free from sin. It no longer has mastery over us, except sometimes when we re-give it that mastery back. When we re-enslave ourselves to sin. When we allow sin to hang around in us. Sin living in me. Literally, if you were to translate it from the Greek, it would read, sin sets up house in me. See, I've been set free from sin, but I, I let it set up residence again. Martin Luther used to say, I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest in my hair. And you see, that's exactly what we do. We let sin build a nest in our hair. And the more that it hangs around, the more we re-give it power. See, if you were here when we started Romans 6, that message, you can go back and listen to it online. I talked about the fact that sin gets a foothold. If we continue to sin in that area, it becomes a stronghold. And it becomes legal ground that the devil, that the enemy has in our life. And you see, I, 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 I want to do the right thing. I want to do the good thing. I want to do what God's word tells me. I, I, it's what I really want to do. But, but Paul says evil, it's, it's just right there. Sin is, is just right there. And life often feels like this tug of war back and forth. And my question is, so is that all there is to it? Is it just a matter of, of willpower? You know, is it just try harder? Stop that? Is that all there is? No, you're absolutely right. Mike Giaconelli, um tells a story of... Uh, going to a junior high track meet. I don't know if you've ever been to a junior high track meet. It won't exactly uh, inspire you with future Olympians, generally. <laughs> but uh, he was at a junior high track meet watching uh, some of his kids compete in different things. And, and he was watching this one particular race, and he noticed at the end of the line there was one kid who maybe was a little heavier than some of the other kids that were running. And probably a whole lot more out of shape than some of the other kids that were running. And they started that race, and uh, he's watching. And, you know, sure enough, just a few seconds into the race, there's a sizable gap between the rest of the pack and this one kid. And he's huffing and puffing, and they're running around. And finally, when they come in front of the stands where he and the other parents are, you know, the, 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 the majority of the kids run past, and then... Several seconds later, here comes this other heavier, slower, more out of shape kid. And as he goes by, his mother leans forward and says, Johnny, run faster! And Mike thought, I bet he's thinking, had I only thought of that? 
I guess I should be running faster. <laughs> but sometimes it can feel like that, doesn't it? We try and, and, and we struggle with sin and we come to church and what we hear, it may not be what's being said, but what we hear is just run faster. And we get frustrated and we get discouraged. Maybe we get depressed. And I would tell you one thing, just to encourage you, is if that's the way you feel sometimes, you're in good company because that's the way the Apostle Paul felt here. I mean, this is a guy that wrote half of the New Testament, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty good company to be in. But one thing I would say to you as well is your frustration, your struggle is evidence of your desire, is evidence of the sincerity of your faith. Non-believers don't struggle because they sin. That's their nature, right? So the very fact that it's a struggle gives us hope. In fact, maybe we need to be concerned when we stop struggling, when we stop being frustrated by our sin. Well, Paul goes on, verse 21, he says, So, I find this law at work, that although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me, sin living in me, sin right there working in me. I see that law at work. Now there's a few things that I'd encourage you to take note of regarding sin and its work within us. You might want to write some of this stuff down. Here's some truths about sin. One is, is that sin deceives you. Sin will always take you further than you intended to go, and it will always keep you longer than you intended to stay, and it will always cost you more than you intended to pay. Isn't that true? Sin deceives us. Not only that, sin defiles you. It's why David prays in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. Sin makes our hearts dirty before a holy God. It muddies things up between us and God. It defiles us. And not only that, sin destroys you. It has agenda, an agenda, and that agenda is death. Remember back in verse 11, we ran past it really fast, but Paul's words, if you just look back a few verses, he says in Romans 7, 11, he says, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. Over and over and over again in Romans, you'll hear Paul say that sin always leads to death. We define death as hell-pleasing, not-in-my-best-interest consequences. See, the lie of sin is that it's no big deal. 
It doesn't hurt anybody. I can handle it. But sin always leads to death. It always leads to hell-pleasing, not-in-my-best-interest consequences. And so the question is, why in the world do we let it hang around in our lives? Why do we let it build a nest in our hair and lay its eggs there? Why do we hold it close like a pet and nurture it and, and pet it? And Why do we do that? In fact, Paul responds in his frustration, verse 24, he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And here's where the hope comes in. You see, in the very next verse, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. In response to his question of desperation, he replies, verse 25, But thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. You know, we saw a couple weeks ago at the end of chapter 6 that we've all got to serve something. In fact, the great theologian Bob Dylan told us that, didn't he? That you got to serve somebody. And that's why Paul tells us to be slaves of God. Romans 6.22, he says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. You see, through the shed blood of Jesus, we've been set free from sin. And we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. But we do have to walk in the freedom that's rightfully ours in Christ. We have to be slaves to God. So how do we do that? Well, three things, just very quickly. Number one, we need a clean heart. That's the aspect of repentance. Of admitting our sin and turning from it. Secondly, we need a focused mind. We need the ongoing input of God's word into our mind if we're going to walk out being slaves of God. And thirdly, we need consistency in our steps. We need community. We need other voices who will help us walk our talk, who will help us do what we say we want to do. Let me, let me just walk through those, break those down a little bit for you. First, we need a clean heart. We need to repent. Here's what I'm saying. If there's birds living in your hair, you need to tear down the nest. That's repentance. That's confession. That's coming to God and saying, God, I admit that this is what you call it. It's sin. And I don't want to do it anymore. 
Maybe it's having someone pray as you confess your sin to cut you free from sin's power that you have re-given it. See, you've been set free from sin's power, but you have, through your sin, re-given it power, mastery over you. Maybe you need to pray to have someone cut you free from that stronghold, from that legal ground that you have re-surrendered to the evil one. To admit your sin and to turn from it. Listen to me, friends. Freedom never comes when you keep things hidden in the dark. That's the lie of sin. Sin says, don't tell anyone. You'll be embarrassed. You'll be ashamed. Keep it hidden. But freedom never comes when we keep things hidden in the dark. We need to bring it out into the light. That's repentance. Getting our sin out into the light and taking the steps to turn from it. Not only that, we need a focused mind on God's word. We need to reinforce our mind over and over again with the word of God. You'll notice in verse 25, Paul says, I myself in my what? Mind am a slave to God's law. We have to fill our mind and keep our mind focused on God's word. And that's where spiritual disciplines come in. There's nothing new about that. It's reading God's word on our own. Daily, consistently, regularly inputting on our own God's word into our mind. Maybe it's listening to Christian podcasts so that we're reinforcing and hearing God's word taught and brought into our mind. It's listening to Christian music so that the philosophy, the the, the, the way of thinking that we're continually reinforcing is the way of God. It's making our consistent weekly habit to, to worship God and to set under the teaching of his word. It's not just coming to church when it works out. It's not just coming to church when it's convenient or when I didn't have too hard of a weekend or if I wasn't up too late. No, it's, it's forming that consistent habit of being here to hear God's word, to worship. It's being an ongoing, consistent part of a small group where we're studying and we're applying God's word together. You say, boy, that sounds very legalistic. I'm not being legalistic. We don't do these things in order to get God's love for us. God already loves us. If we're in Christ, we don't do these things to get God's favor. His favor already sets on us. But if we're going to walk out as slaves to God, we have to continually be inputting God's word into our mind to push back against the other input that's constantly coming at us from the world. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says this, verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't study philosophy. But you know what? You get philosophy thrown at you all day long. Every song you listen to, every commercial you watch, every bit of media that you listen to or watch or the people telling you things, all day long you're getting philosophy 
that's built on the spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And if you're going to offset that, you need God's word constantly in your mind so that it seeps down to your heart and into your soul to help you live out, walk out, think like a person who's a servant, a slave of God. It's why Paul in just a few more Chapters in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. I, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. That ongoing input of God's word. And then thirdly, we need consistency. You see, commitment is what gets us to the starting line. But consistency is what gets us to the finished line. See, so often we come to church or, or we read God's word or we're in a conversation and we, we're convicted. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and we make a commitment. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey you in this area. God, I'm going to stop doing that. God, I'm going to put that down. God, I'm going to break that off. God, I'm going to... We make the commitment and it gets us to the starting line. But then it never, it never comes fully out. You know why? Because we need other people in our lives. Other voices speaking to us. Other people holding us accountable to get us to walk in the consistency, to get us to the finish it's being part of a small group where you give other people permission to speak into your life maybe it's having an accountability partner someone who will specifically hold you accountable in a particular area where you find yourself falling again and again and again and walking in defeat rather than victory it's it's having people close enough about the real us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, who have the permission to ask us the hard questions, to challenge you to be better, to be the you that you want to be. You know, maybe you're here this morning and there's something that you need to let go of. Maybe there's some relationship that you need to break off. Maybe there's some action or some activity that you need to quit. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to end. I would encourage you right now to say to God, God, I surrender. God, I give that area to you. God, I, I want to make this commitment right now to walk in obedience with you in that area. But I want to tell you, you're going to need community, gospel community, to help you walk out consistency in that commitment. Well, let me wrap it up. Christians, you see, aren't sinless. But we ought to sin less. And when we do sin... We ought to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not shame, not guilt, 
It's why Paul's very next words in chapter 8 are, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't feel condemnation, but we do feel conviction. We feel the call of the Spirit to live at a higher level. A life of, not of perfection, but of progress. Because you see, friends, every temptation, every temptation to sin is a temptation to disbelieve the gospel. To think Jesus isn't enough. To think that that God's ways are not the best ways for me. That I'm not complete in him. That I need something else. It's the temptation to secure for myself in that moment something that I think that I need to be happy other than Jesus and what he's provided for me. Well, I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray in just a minute. If you have business to do with God, do it. If you would benefit, listen, from other, another person praying for you, praying over you. We have, we'll have prayer team people up here on both sides, as is our habit. And while we're singing, just come. Whether it's about this matter or anything that you would benefit from prayer about. You come to these people while, while we're praying. Well, let's, well, while we're singing, but let me pray right now. Holy Spirit, I would ask you again to just... Take these truths and solidify them in our minds, in our hearts. Speak to us. Lord Jesus, give us wisdom to hear exactly what you want us to hear. Exactly what you're saying to us this morning. Make the application crystal clear in our mind. And then give us the courage to do it. And I pray for your glory. Amen.